This is Afraid Not Podcast. We're so glad you're listening in today, and our guest on the show is Pam Wilson. Pam is an anesthesiologist, and she does a lot of work with um, care for underprivileged children, particularly with dental work. Um, She was raised in an abusive home with an alcoholic parent, and her story is amazing, and there's all kinds of twists and turns, so you are really going to want to listen into this. Something I take away from this conversation for me is that I feel Pam's story is such a beautiful picture of 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I feel like Pamela's story of how Jesus saved her and took her out of a, a pit that she was in and set her feet on a rock, it's just beautiful. It's really beautiful. There's no explanation other than God for how he has turned her life around so radically and now is using her in amazing ways. We can hardly wait for you to hear all about what God is doing in her life and for you to be inspired by her. Our own daughters have personally benefited from being in her Sunday school class at First Baptist Church Owasso, and she we're just forever grateful as moms that mm-hmm. our daughters have been blessed to be in her class. And as you listen in today to episode 20 of Afraid Not, we just want you to know we're glad you're here and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. We're so glad you're here today. And Pam, thank you so much for being on Afraid Not. We're so excited you're here today. Thank you so much. I could, I'm honored. And Pam, we just want to ask you, as we get started right now, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and let them get to know you and what kind of makes you tick and what you do. Okay, absolutely. Um, so I am uh, 55. I'm a single uh, person, been single for about 13 years. Um, I do anesthesia and pediatric anesthesia is my expertise and I absolutely am passionate about what I do. Um, I have one daughter who's married in Colorado and um, what a blessing she is in my life and uh, my son-in-law as well. Um, I've lived in Owasso for about 13 years and attended First Baptist Church of Owasso for most of that time. Um, I uh, teach Sunday school. That's my passion. I'm doing what I was created for when I am teaching my girls on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. I know that's exactly what God called me to do. And I think when you're in that sweet spot, God will use you in ways that you cannot even begin to imagine. And so that's my passion. And that's why I really tick. And have you worked with youth the whole time? You've I have. Been here? Okay. Yes, the majority. I would say. Mm-hmm. Actually, let me take that back. Basically, the first two years, I fed my spirit after I divorced and moved back from California, and after that two years, God started wooing me to the youth, and mm-hmm. so I've been there probably about eleven years. I would say. Well, I want to interject a little um, point of view from a parent that one of the most, one of the sweetest ways that I've seen God meet needs for my children is through other Christian ladies that love on, um, particularly for my daughters, you know, that he's used, and Pam is an exact example of this. When my family and I moved to Owasso, 
my older daughter was going into ninth grade, mm-hmm. and she same with was, mine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Both of them. Yeah, Jill's yep. daughter. Yeah, both of them in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Emily was really trying to be so brave with the new move, trying to make new friends and be courageous. But she was inside. It was hard. It was hard. And one of the lifelines that she was so grateful to hold on to was Pam Wilson. Pam reached out to her. I think you were one of the first invitations that she got to do something. She got invited to come and have a fun girl slumber party night with your Sunday school group. And the year, well, the many years that unfolded of how you've just mentored her have meant so much. So I just want you listeners to know this is a really special lady here. Thank you. (laughs) God uses us when we're in that element of fulfillment of his purpose in our lives. Yes. yes. Well, tell us about your anesthesia. What is yes. What are your, your daily uh, jobs like with that? So basically, I get to play with kids all day, actually put them to sleep more importantly, and, <laughs> and look at their angelicness as they're sleeping, oh. which most of our children are. But um, I get to, um, to establish a trust with the parents that I'm going to put mm-hmm. your child to sleep. Mm-hmm. And being able to pray over those children in the moments when, you know, their, their life is in my hand that I pray every morning before I go into the offices, that I pray over the office. I pray that my hands are God's. I pray that the surgeon or the dentist hands are God's hands, and that these children are um, in in good care. And I feel that, and I think the parents feel that, and the children just run up to me and hug me. They really know, you know, even kids I don't even know, they'll just run up and hug me. I don't know whether they feel Jesus all over me or the Holy Spirit, but it's a beautiful place to be that they will trust me with their children and the lives that are in my hands each day. And I just can't thank God enough for that experience and expertise. And you're kind of the last face they see before they actually fall asleep. I am. Yeah. I That's am. cool. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. I love How it. many years have you been doing this? I've been doing anesthesia for 30 years. Oh, wow. wow. Yes. A very long time. Well, mm-hmm. I know yes. you're in demand. I mean, all over. Not just in Owasso. Mm-hmm. You travel to all various places to do I this, I do. Right? Yes. And my passion behind the business I started here in Oklahoma in 2008 was increasing access to care for the underserved children. So I do a lot of Medicaid children that need dental work done, and they can't get in the hospitals, and they're in pain, or they have an infection that could be life-threatening at certain points if, it's, if it goes too long. And so I... Um, started a business in 2008 and now I travel to southeast Oklahoma I travel to northwest Oklahoma to basically into northeast obviously because that's where we live taking care of children and the business has expanded into several states now but actually I realized over time that I did not have um, the manpower to handle quite the gap and need that is in this particular pediatric dental sedation arena So I am on a venture uh, that is just beyond my imagination with God, where he has given me an idea that I think will will uh, basically transform the landscape of pediatric sedations internationally. Wow. Yes. And so we're in the process. We're forming the company. We're starting our research. 
and we're going to be developing a, a product that can help children, not just in dental, because we can't do all children. And so I need the pediatric dental specialist to equip the dentist and the pediatric dental specialist to be able to do this in the office mm-hmm. without us being there for every case. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to, it's going to basically transform the landscape of pediatric sedations internationally, and not just that, the adult sedations as well. I'm overwhelmed with what God's doing, and it's all Him and His glory because He's given me the ideas. That's really cool. So We're hearing it at the ground floor. Oh, my goodness. Who knows where God will take this? And we'll be saying, oh, remember that day? Pam told us. Yes, absolutely. And I told the church, I said, I've already told Keith and everybody, I'm like, guys, Mm -hmm. the church will be blessed beyond belief because I will take care of the staff and the church if this goes through, because it could be beyond our imagination. You can't out-give God. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. So tell us a little bit about your background. Like, did you grow up in California? No, actually, I grew up in Hope, Arkansas. You could tell by the twang. Yeah. It's a little (laughs) bit longer. It's a little different twang. Um, But, yes, I grew up in Hope, Arkansas. Um, To a daddy was an engineer. My mother was a homemaker. I have an older sister and a younger brother. And we were raised not in church. Uh, My daddy... um, thought that just getting out of the vicious cycle of poverty that he lived in as a child would make life filled and complete. And unfortunately found out the hard way that that wasn't what life was all about. And he used to say to us children all the time, there's got to be more to life than this. But he didn't know. Mm-hmm. He didn't know the answer. Mm-hmm. So then, therefore, he didn't share it with us children. Right. And through his problems he uh, and his emptiness... He became uh, an alcoholic and um, physically abused my mother. And so it was a childhood. Did you witness that? Yes. I stood in the gap many times so that my daddy wouldn't hit us, but he would hit my mom. And so, you know, and I was the little girl when my daddy was, uh, when I was really young, where I would just run out, hit the screen door. My mom said, your daddy's home. And run out and jump in my father's arms. Mm-hmm. I idolized my daddy. I was his shadow. I was the one that looked like him. I was supposed to be the boy, you know. And so <laughs> we had an amazing relationship. But when I got to the point in my life where I was a little bit older, I realized my daddy was hurting me by hurting my mommy. Right. And that did not sit well for me. And mm-hmm. so I think I established at a very young age walls around my heart because I didn't want anyone to hurt me like my daddy did, my mommy, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and us children. Yeah. So it wasn't a safe place. That's right. so traumatic. It was. Were you the oldest? I was the middle. The middle. Okay. Yes. Oh, so you're the one trying to make everything oh, yeah. calm for everybody oh, yeah. else. Yes, I was the peacemaker. Yes. I tried to be. Yeah, yeah. And do you, so how much older is your... My sister's four years older. Okay. My brother's three years younger. Okay. Yes. Yes. So tell us how long that went on. For as long as I can remember. Mm. And I can tell you that it wasn't a safe environment to raise a child. Because every day when I got home from school, I was wondering how my daddy would come home from work. Mm-hmm. That would basically determine the evening. Yeah, the whole the, tone of oh, the whole meeting. Yes. yes. And every time my daddy would go out of town, I felt free. Because I knew that night we were going to order pizza and we were going to watch movies. And there wasn't a threat of abuse right. in my home. So mm. it was really traumatic. It was a traumatic childhood, one that I couldn't be free mm-hmm. to be a child because mm-hmm. I was always on the lookout. Right. You know. At yep. your school, did you guard your heart there as well, or were, your, were you kind of 
acting out in behaviors because you were afraid at home or what? Or was that your safe place? No, I was a bully. Really? I was a bully. Oh my goodness, heart of gold, Pam. I cannot even imagine. I was a bully, yes. I used to um, say, okay, Teresa, today we're going to be mad at Alicia. Or Alicia, today we're going to be mad at Teresa. We won't talk to her all day. And we did that quite often. I remember Mm. not changing my panties for a very long time. Really? Because I tried to control as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And I remember... One day, my mom, I had a friend over to spend the night, and my mom found my panties that had been worn and worn and worn over and over again. This is never, I've never talked about this before, but it's just my God's opening up my heart to it. And my mom said, she will never be able to spend the night with us again, Pam. And I said, why, Mommy? Because, look, she's not taking care of it at home. And I went, those are mine. So I think that started my mommy to really opening up about, wow, my children are being affected yeah. by what I'm doing and how I'm staying here. So in your child mind, in some way, that undergarment became like, I have this control. Yes. I'm not going to take this off as far as yes. I'm concerned or somehow yes. it meant something to it you. Did. It did. It meant a place of safety or something mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And do you think the bullying was your way of having some power? Yes. Absolutely, 100%. Since you didn't have any at home, you were going to have some at school. I was. I was going to control that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it backfired on me. (laughs) And they went against me, you know. And then then I also had had people bullying me. Two girls were um, telling me every day for lunch that if I didn't bring up something for lunch, they were going to beat me up on on the recess, at recess. And so I... I bought, bought stuff every day for her. My mom did, bought every st- stuff every day for them uh, so that I wouldn't get beaten up. Well, at the end of the year, my mom said, caught wind of it. And so we went in, and she said, Pam. So we approached the girls mm-hmm. with, the, with the teacher. And she, my mom actually was a teacher's aide now, so she worked at the school. So she was kind of inside a little bit with what was going on. And so we approached the teacher and the girls, and, and mom said, well, how much do you think they owe you? And I said, $5. I didn't know. So anyway, they paid me back, and, and that was kind of over. But it was a year of fifth grade was a really hard year mm-hmm. for me. For me, and I don't think I didn't bully anymore. I think I learned my lesson, but I tried to control in other ways. Yeah, in my life. So, did any of the teachers or anybody at school notice what was happening? No, no. They didn't ask you what was going on at home or anything. No, hmm. not at all. That's too bad. Yeah, it was. It was a very difficult time, but mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I knew all along that. God was all over me, even back when I was younger. I knew that I was going to be protected. As a young child, I would always, like, tell my mommy when I would go out to play. I had, If I didn't tell her, I was going to go back in and say, Mommy, I am going to be here. And I could not rest without my mommy knowing exactly where I was and what I was doing. I felt a favor over my life, even prior to becoming a child of God. And it was him protecting me from things. I mean, I got into so much already. But protecting me from things that I probably could have gotten into that I didn't because I always felt him nudging me to go home if I was in a bar and in a place where I shouldn't have been in my life. So I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here as uh, continuing my, my story. So after high school, did you go on to college straight after high school? I did. My daddy taught me two things mm-hmm. in life, um, nothing about God. He always, like I said, said, there's got to be more to life than this. Mm-hmm. And he also said it's a lot easier to work with your mind than with your hands and never depend on a man for anything. 
Well, and I really took that second one to heart, especially because my mom's would give the reason that she wouldn't leave my daddy because um, she didn't have the support financially to take care of us because she didn't have a career. Boy, did I take that to mm-hmm, heart. Mm-hmm. That's why I over-succeeded in my education because of that. And secondly, um, my daddy got out of the vicious cycle of poverty by going to college and going into military mm-hmm. and then also going into um, edu- to engineering. So he was able to take care of us in a middle-class fashion, so we felt like that was what was the answer to, to life. I didn't have a choice of where I went, to, or excuse me, I didn't have a choice of if I went to college, it was where. I went to college, and so I got to choose that. So I went to college, and um, through my latter part of my high school years, I obviously was seeking um, uh, acceptance and love and daddy's love and uh, relationships. So I started mm-hmm. um, my venture into finding Mr. Wright and getting married and live happily ever after. That was my my thought. That's what I needed to do to be happy in life. I watched Cinderella and Snow White and dreamed about that happening. So um, I would, um, you know, go out with guys and uh, treat them really bad because I saw what I, the role model I had at home was to treat guys really bad. And um, so I would, you know, treat them really bad and not really let them close to me. But Lost my virginity from a first love at, at 15 or 16 years of age. Mm. And um, so when we did go to college, I went 45 minutes from home for my first year of college. And my boyfriend at the time went um, the other direction, about 45 minutes. So we'd meet up on weekends and um, still, you know, have our relationship. But about a semester into to college, my first year, um, I got a call one day. And he said that... Um, he was seeing somebody else and you know, didn't love me anymore and wanted to, to break up the relationship. Well, obviously, the walls that had already been built around my heart, my stronghold, were mm-hmm. cemented at that point. And I wasn't going to let anybody in to hurt me again. So um, that was kind of the offset of my down spiral, if you will, with relationships and with life at that point. So um, I pursued my education. I went to uh, Louisiana Tech, my uh, second and third years of college, and kind of was like a, a chip in the wind, not really understanding our purpose uh, about life. I didn't really understand or know. I just thought I was going to meet Mr. Wright, have a career, make money, and that was my going to be my life and my happy spot. And so I pursued all those in, in a very relentless fashion, because I think we all relentlessly pursue whatever it is that we're looking for, and we will do that at a restless pace until we finally are settled in whatever that is. And I didn't know at the time that it was Jesus Christ I was mm-hmm. missing. Yeah. Had you ever met strong Christians who told you about Jesus or had, they, had anyone invited you to church or anything like that on this part of your journey? Not really. You know, my parents would take me, uh, take us on Easter and on Christmas. I remember, I think when I was eight or nine years old, getting baptized, having no idea what that was all about. But in a First Baptist church, my sister sang in the choir in high school at that church. And so it brought me in some. And then my brother uh, was invited to a youth group at United Methodist Church. So he would go there. My sister would go. So then I'd go every once in a while. But just Got baptized, didn't know anything about what was going on, but just mm-hmm. went to church every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you think that your dad asked, saying there has to be more, was that always kind of a question that you just kept? Not at a young age. I don't remember mm-hmm. doing that. More when I figured out that what I was doing wasn't working. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when I got this successful career and mm-hmm. made a lot of money mm-hmm. and it had a lot of relationships, that's when really that started rearing its head again, if you will, right. in my mind of there's more, there's more, mm-hmm. there's more, but just didn't know what it was. Because mm-hmm. none of that was filling that no, hole. No, not at all. And actually the hole became deeper and darker and you know, the pursuit became became more and more profound as I got older. And, you know, then I started numbing myself. I became an alcoholic, just like my daddy, who I hated who he was, you mm-hmm. know, and drugs and all of that, you know, to numb myself from the misery that I was feeling because nothing was working. Did that start in college? It did, yes. I started drinking a lot in college and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, throughout the, the rest of my life until... I uh, cascaded into defining the Lord. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. Yes. So um, when I was 40 years old, um, I was out in Southern California. And that was after probably 30 relationships with men, all sexual relationships, not a whole lot of emotional stuff going on because I wouldn't allow anybody to get close. Had you gotten married at this I had. point? I'd gotten married once um, at that time and had... Um, a daughter who was, you know, I thought, too, at that point, gosh, I just need to get married. So I did. Because mm-hmm. I'd had a career now. I was making mm-hmm. a lot of money. I have to get married. So I got married. That didn't work. I had a child. When I held my newborn child in my arms, there was still something missing. And I'm like, wow, this was what it was supposed to be about, getting married and having a family and having money. And it, it wasn't. So, um, yeah, so I'd been married once at the time. I actually moved out to Southern California for another relationship. And about the 30th relationship with a man, I'd actually tried a female relationship as well because through that venture, I'm like, well, gosh, if men aren't doing it, maybe it's this female that I'm missing. So I tried that in the midst. And then, you know, alcohol, drugs, through the promiscuity of my sexual life, three abortions. Um, And through my promiscuity and also just trying to, to find that happy spot that I was missing um, six plastic surgeries because I hated how I looked and if I changed this or changed that I would get filled and that would be complete and nothing was working Mm. so when I was in Southern California at 40 wow I was messed up just messed up in my life and so um, one Sunday morning in June of 2004 um, one of my boyfriend's friends at the time invited us to Saddleback Church. And so we went and Pastor Corn was speaking and it was like he was speaking directly to me that day. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will understand what I'm saying when they feel like God is talking directly to you. Mm-hmm. And I felt that. And then I found out that he had written a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And so mm-hmm. after church that Sunday in 2004, um, I went to Walmart and got not just one copy, but several, because that's just how I do things. When I go, I go all in. <laughs> and so I get home on that Sunday afternoon, and I'm living with my boyfriend at the time, and in, in my bedroom, in my quiet time, I open the book. And I'll never forget the moment that I opened the book, and it said, it's not about you. You are not an accident. You were created for a purpose. And that thing that daddy had been saying all along, there's got to be more to life than this. This might have been what it was. And so God started moving in my life. 
And 20 days later and 20 chapters later, because they were short and you were supposed mm-hmm. to read one a day. Well, that's what I did. Wow, it made sense. I didn't need a biblical knowledge to, to understand what Pastor Rick was trying to get his message in this book. And so my daughter was 11 now. And she had flown out to see her daddy in um, St. Louis, and it was a two-week vacation. Now, my my daughter was imprisoned uh, in fear about her mommy because she always thought that I would be in jail. And so she would call me until I answered the phone every day. So she was imprisoned by this mommy. And um, so it was a July 2004 on a Saturday night. My boyfriend came over, and we had... I had moved into my own place by now, and we watched a pornography, and we um, smoked and drank, and I don't think we did any marijuana that night or something, but we could have, because it was so common in our life, um, that, and had, you know, crazy, just sex, like always, and um, I got up that Sunday morning, and um, I went and looked in the mirror, and Tom had left, and it was about 10 o'clock, and I thought to myself, I hate who you have become. And, you know, God had been working through the Purpose Driven Life book, and but I couldn't do anything about it. I just kept sinning. And so I went around, and I got on my knees in my bedroom, just me and by myself, and I said, Jesus, if you're real, I need help because I have messed up my life. And immediately um, he came in. And filled that spot that was missing, that God-shaped hole that I didn't know was a God-shaped hole that only he could fill, was finally filled and complete. I felt clean. I felt light. I felt forgiven. I felt amazing, like I can't describe. And then it was immediate deliverance for me. The hunger for the alcohol, the sex, the drugs, the money was not there anymore. The hunger for reading the Bible and the Word of God was there. Mm. And I was immediately delivered from my slavery to sin itself. Mm. So it was a powerful moment. Um, So my daughter flew back a couple of weeks later. And after a few days, she didn't have to ask, Mommy, whose house are we going over to? Or who's coming over tonight? Or is this a mommy drink? Or is this a okay drink for me to have a drink Mm. of? Mm -hmm. Um, She didn't have to do that. And she said, Mommy. What happened to you? Hmm. And I said, I met Jesus. And so her life was immediately changed. And faith was secured. And I didn't mention this, but a few years before, when I first moved out to Southern California, um, my boyfriend at the time, we were living together. And um, so there was a a family next door that was really God-fearing, and they invested in my daughter and took her to church. And um, so she accepted the Lord many years before I did, and I didn't understand that at the time, but um, it was powerful even more so when I understood what it meant when I happened, what it happened to me. So, so um, she knew. When, oh, she, when you said, I met Jesus, she already knew what you were talking she about. She knew. She knew. That's so beautiful. She knew. And you're, I, I think of that moment you just talked about, that you, just you, in your bedroom, on your knees, said, Jesus, if you're real. I need you to come into my heart. And that you experience what the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Amen. The old things have passed away, and everything has become new. new. 
It's your second Corinthians five seventeen. That's my favorite verse. Moment. Oh, yes, it is. I had it on a rock in my in my oh, condo. That. Yeah, I did. Oh, I had it on a rock man. with the picture of baptism. And you did yeah. become new. I did. So what? Um, as your the next weeks and months unfolded, how did you change your life? What happened? Mm. Well, I mean, I should say, how did God change your yes, life? Yes. You? Yes. Well, I actually. Um, I moved back to Oklahoma at that time. Had you already broken up with your boyfriend? No. Mm-mm. That happened a few a few months later. And actually, my boyfriend at the time is the one that kind of started the seed mm-hmm. a little bit because he we'd broken up and he was searching. Mm-hmm. And so he had some tapes of Pastor Rick Warren and uh, had been playing a few of those. And so I happened to pop back into his life again, and he was kind of already going that, that route a little bit. And he actually became a... Uh, a Christian as well. So through oh, awesome. our relationship, we also we found each other. Let's uh, let's jump to your moving back to Oklahoma. Oh yes. Okay. Yes. So um, about three or four months after um, I I met the Lord and um, you know He changed my life, I started going to church there at Saddleback. I actually served already in the in the sixth grade with my daughter. Went to a camp at Big Bear and started really plugging in almost immediately, even though I had no idea uh, what really the Bible and the Word of God was about. I just felt led to go ahead and start serving, so I did. And um, then a few months later, Tom and I ended up breaking up, Mm -hmm. and I moved back to Oklahoma, or to Oklahoma for, I guess, the first time. So my family, I grew up in Arkansas, but my family had moved to Owasso, Oklahoma, my brother and my father. So that's how I ended up in Owasso at the time. And I was in Owasso a couple of months, and Tom and I kind of started getting back together again, decided to get married. And at that time, I was such a young Christian, I didn't really understand God's intimate and intricate details and how He really tries to be involved in everything in our lives. And Tom and I tried to get married and went through five different pastors before we would find somebody that would marry us because their requirement was that we had to go to six weeks of wedding or of marriage training counseling mm-hmm. before we w- one of the pastors at Saddleback would marry us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we couldn't find a pastor to marry us. Well, that was God's way of saying, this is not for you, this is not for you. But I went ahead and got married and moved back out to California and... Um, a huge mistake. Um, we ended up buying a home, and then I, I almost had a nervous breakdown over the relationship, and ended up finally just um, about a year and a half later, uh, moving back to Owasso again for the second time, and stayed. Was the relationship emotionally abusive or just very uh, insecure, controlling? Uh, it was it was horrible verbally and emotionally for me and also for my daughter. I had to medicate my daughter too for it because it was so bad. Oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. So um, I felt in the moment that I flew back to Owasso, not an accident by God's plan, but um, it was so amazing because I know God doesn't like divorce. But I can tell you that through the intervention that he put in my life to get back to Owasso from a job offer to my daughter's Christian school having a spot to uh, buying a home right across from my brother because I was going to be on call and I was single so I needed somebody Mm -hmm. to be there was immediately available ready to move into brand new home and the biggest thing is so God that my daughter her life was horseback riding uh, amazing horseback rider. And so Caroline Bonham was her coach in Southern California. Well, 
come to know the Bonhams, her son and and his wife were training in Owasso, Oklahoma. Oh, horseback wow. at Prairie Lane Farms right here in Owasso, Oklahoma. That's so God because that was my daughter's life. Mm-hmm. And so we could actually just spill over really easily into so all life these things here. were already laid out. Laid out. Laid out. So I knew it was his plan for me yeah, to be back sure here. sounds like God oh, paved the way for you. He did. And then on July 4th of 2006 when we landed here and had gotten all of our stuff out, um, we were landing, it was night, and fireworks were going off on both sides of the plane as we were landing. And one of three times now in my life, I felt the Lord so close. And he said to me, the Holy Spirit said to me, you're free. And it's true. Mm. It's true. So I've not looked back since that time. Have you talked to Tom at all since then? We texted a few times uh, through the years, but um, I would say for at least six or seven, no communication at all. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. God doesn't like divorce, but he also doesn't want us to be enslaved or in an abusive situation. Absolutely. And you know, I beat myself up for that for a while. And then Pastor Wall had a beautiful sermon on that because I thought, well, if I'm not being physically abused or he's not committing adultery, then I should stay. But emotional and verbal abuse is just as bad, if not worse sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. And you yeah, were because your daughter as well. Oh yes, yeah, yes. Physical yeah. scars you can see. Mm-hmm. Emotional scars you don't always see, but there's that doesn't mean they're not there. I love that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, so true. So tell us about some of the passions that God has made realities for you, um, as far as you know, working with your teenage girls and becoming a writer. Tell us all about that and what he's doing in your life in and through you. Sure. Well, I think too um, that I'm called to singleness because I I really am a worker and I feel like God is going to use me in special ways um, through my singleness, you know, because Paul was single. Jesus was single. The disciples were mm-hmm. single. I feel like God has given me a lot more opportunity being a single person and my daughter's married now. Besides that, I mean, I do have a very busy clinical practice, but I feel like that God is giving me the opportunity to work really hard for him and his kingdom, not just through teaching girls and impacting their lives, which is my most important thing that I do, but also through sharing my story um, because there's such freedom in transparency. Mm-hmm. And as I've, God has opened up the platform through my my book and that will be out in just a few weeks, but also through my story, the transparency that I have uh, displayed, the rawness that I have opened my life up to, God is using in big ways. And there's such freedom in the transparency that we have in our lives. So because of that, and I, when I go and speak at some churches now, the biggest question I get asked is, how do you have the courage to share all that you've done? Mm-hmm. And I just say it's just it's freeing, it's transforming lives, and it's it's for God and His glory. That's all I'm. That's what my story is about. That's the, what I want the scars to mean is that other people can learn through my scars, especially my young girls. Because if I can share that all that I've done and all the mistakes that I've made in my life, then I've impacted um, the girls' lives by saying I've done this, I've been there. So it doesn't work. That's not what's missing in your lives. I hope that I can keep them from going down that that wrong path. Mm -hmm. And it is our burdens that are in our heart that become the passions of our hearts. Wow. So that is why I've written this book. What's the title of your book? It's called Spirit Versus Flesh, A Constant Battle. And I 
have learned through my walk, intimate walk with Jesus Christ, especially over the last 15 years, that it's all about him and nothing about us. And I've learned through feeding my Holy Spirit and crucifying my flesh and my fleshly desires that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life in ways beyond your imagination. And I believe and burdened by Christians today because I think most of them live in defeat because they're still enslaved to their flesh and they're not being empowered by the Holy Spirit by feeding their spirit. And I can also say that sex was one of my gods. And for 13, I'm sorry, for, well, since 2000, May of 2006, I have been completely celibate. And God is overwhelming me with his presence. And he does more than his part in making my dreams pure and my life more looking up instead of down. And I'm so burdened now by hypocrisy. And I believe that Christianity is, is so much um, a false representative for believers today, and especially for non-believers, we don't give them a good example to follow in our lives. And that's my burden. And so I'm hoping through this book and sharing how I've learned through my walk to live victoriously through being empowered by the Spirit and not enslaved to my flesh and my fleshly desires, that they can also be emboldened to live a life that pleases God and impact the kingdom in big ways. I'm excited to read your book. I am too. Thank you. Can you make that statement again that the burdens of our heart become, because that's that's amazing. Yes, it is the burdens of our heart that become the passions of our heart. And I have so many Mm -hmm. of those in my book that God has given me, and I want to share those, but that's so true, and that's the message behind my book. Pastor Rick Warren said in one of his books, he said, more than ever I get asked, I want to change, but I don't know how to change my life. I think this book is a great tool to empower Christians to understand how sin separates us from God. It doesn't separate us from God's love, but it separates us from God. And when we're in a repetitive sin pattern, we can't have his presence. It's not because he doesn't want to be there. It's because he can't, because God's perfect and we're not. So if we're in a repetitive sin pattern, my first my first um, advice, piece of advice is to repent, to turn back to him and to be empowered by God in your relationship with him. And he'll equip you with what you need to not sin against God and to get more and more involved. And also, I think so many of us just settle for stagnation versus sanctification in our lives, Mm -hmm. that we are stagnant in our walks. And we need to continue to look for that next step of obedience Mm -hmm. to become more and more like him, to become more sanctified, to become more and more like Jesus in our walks daily. And I think we're saying we're doing stagnation. And I have a really interesting little story, which I do several in my book. But my my daughter and son-in-law were on their honeymoon in in Turks and Caicos. And my son-in-law says to my daughter, hey, Morgan, he had never been snorkeling before. Hey, Morgan, hold my floaties. I'm going deep. And so she, I thought that needs to be on a T-shirt or a mug. Or, perfect, hold my floaties. Per, hold my floaties. I'm going deep. And I just died laughing. I'm like, That's, I need it in my book. Can I use it in my book? And so I thought about that in sanctification versus stagnation. Because if we are caught up in the surface of our lives, 
we get caught up in the things of the world. It's if it's stagnant, it gets dirty, it gets moldy, mm-hmm. it gets the currents, the rip currents in the ocean can take us into areas of our of our walk that we don't want to go in. As we become more deep, if you will, in the ocean, the more beautiful, the more peaceful things become. It's like that in our walks with Jesus Christ, because we become more sanctified and more mature in our walks. It's more peaceful. It's more beautiful. You have a subtle joy that you can't even imagine. But not only that, not only do you need to be all in, but you need to be deeper in with those alls so that you can you can experience more joy. You can experience more peace. You can experience more of the fruits and the spiritual attributes that God gives us in our lives through becoming more like him daily. And I think that's a great mm-hmm. illustration because the idea of going deeper into the ocean feels scary. Yes. And it does take a step and a risk. Yes. But, so I think that's perfect. Beautiful. It Absolutely. Absolutely. I loved that analogy as I started, God started giving mm-hmm. me those thoughts that about, wow, beautiful. perfect example. Perfect yeah, example that's of amazing. that. Yes. And he's calling us deeper still. Mm-hmm. We still. can never go as deep as he is, Never. we can always be called deeper still. Amen. And deeper still. Yes. And deeper still. Yes. Because yes. no one can understand the vastness of our God That's and right. how powerful he is. That's right. And we will never even imagine or conceive how great his plans and purposes are for us. That's so true. So true. And, you know, I had said back too when I was in a bar in 2000, when I was in the bars back mm-hmm. when I was younger, and I'd said, made the comment that, you know, I knew back then that there was something that was I was called to, and it wasn't to be in the bars. And I would always get an urge to leave the bars. And most of the time, I would take that urge and leave to get myself out of a lot of trouble I could have gotten into. And I couldn't understand it at the time. Or I would, if it was a night where I felt like it, I would drink past it to kind of numb myself from what Mm -hmm. I was feeling. But I knew that I was called for more than that. I just didn't know at the time what it was or who it was. It was calling me for it. Well, and it goes back to the verse 2 of anytime there's a temptation, he provides a way out. A way out. Amen. Mm -hmm. So true. No temptation has seized us except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. When we are tempted, he'll provide a way way out. out. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord, yes. Mm -hmm. I experienced that many times, yes. When does your book release? Um, It's actually done, and the publisher now is going through the print process, and so it will be out um, probably in two weeks. In two weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So about the time that this podcast is out. August 2nd. Perfect. Wow. Start looking for it. Will it be like on Amazon? It will. It'll be Amazon. Westbo Press is the publishing company. Um, It will also be uh, Barnes & Noble uh, website. And um, I'm not sure where else God has it now, but um, I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, social media marketing as well. And then the company actually uh, does an essential edition package, and they're going to do like 500 newspaper, magazine, media uh, presses of my book release. So, How exciting. Yes. Yes. This I'm so excited. So yes. And I have to agree with you in a comment you made a couple of minutes ago that people are really amazed by how much you're sharing and how can you, how is it, how can you be so brave to share these things? And I have to say that the willingness to take a mask off and to, to be so authentic and to not try to 
glaze over the, the things that have been things you would maybe in your flesh think, oh, I don't want people to know. But the willingness to take the mask off is what draws people to the authentic love of Jesus. Absolutely. So the fact that you're boldly saying, look where God has brought me from. Yes. Look what he's taken me out of. It yes. makes me think of Psalm 40 about being in the pit mm. and that God has lifted you up and set your feet firmly on a rock. Amen. Yes. And you can look back yes. over at that pit and say, praise the Lord, I'm not in the pit. <laughs> I'm not in the pit. And, you know, I, I for those years, sinking sand was my thing. I, I was building my life on sinking sand and building these beautiful sand castles that I thought would, would stay, but the storm would come and they would flatten out and they would go away. But now I'm on the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ and, and there's nothing that can rock my core beliefs now in who I am and, and, and the faith that I've built in the relationship with Jesus Christ that I have today. And I think it's our transparencies and our failures that bring people to us. Like we we're so afraid to be transparent mm-hmm. and show those weak points. But I would rather be around people that I know have those and are honest than somebody that I think has it all together because I compared to them, I don't have it all together. Absolutely. I mean, shocker. I know everybody thinks I have it all together, but I don't. <laughs> right. I'm just kidding. But isn't it such a facade? Yeah, because it is. Nobody. No. Has it all together? No. Nobody. No. So any, even the people that we think, oh, well, well, she's got that going on. We don't know what's going on under the surface. We're all in recovery Amen. from the messes of our sin and our, our, mm-hmm. our biggest problem is our sin. That's right. <laughs> Not other people's sin. That's our right. Sin. And I do think that based on the authentic way that I live my life and the transparent way my, I live my life, I've impacted more girls because of that than any yes. lesson I've ever taught, anything I've ever done, any sleepover I've ever had, any great milkshake or cookie cake. It's all about me being open with my life and sharing it with the girls. Just a few months ago, I got a text from one of my girls I taught seven or eight years ago, and she needed help with a certain situation, and she knew I'd been there. So she reaches out. And so it's a beautiful ministry to have that I'm able to do that. And also through that, you establish common ground for people to be able to approach you. And Billy Graham says so beautifully, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everyone has equal access. I love that, and it's so true, and I think you establish that common ground by just saying, hey, this is me. I'm raw. This is who I am. This is what I've done, and this is who God has made me to be today, and it's ashes that turn into beauty. That's what my life is like. Perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. And our girls still have Pamisms of things that you said that they remember. Like Quinn will still say, Oh, that's a God story. If somebody says some story about something and that's like that, she'll be like, Yeah. Like Pam says, That's a God story. That's a God story. (laughs) Yes. Because I want them to bring those to me because God stories, here's what God does God will reveal Himself to us. Our job is to recognize it as God and give Him the glory. Mm-hmm. That's huge, and that's what I try to instill in my girls. Watch for God to move. Intimate, intricate details, the big details. He will move, but you've got to recognize that that's God. And the more you do it, the more he'll reveal himself, and it's a cycle of beauty that happens through that. Mm-hmm. So you were immediately released from all of those things, right? I was. But there are some times that people aren't immediately released. So what... what suggestions or things would you say to those that are 
seeking Christ and become a Christian, but they're not, those chains are not immediately Mm. off. Yes, yes. Well, first of all, uh, feeding your spirit daily, keeping accountable to that, having an accountability partner is huge in this process, especially if you're not immediately delivered and God's taking you for some reason step by step. And I think Beth Moore says this so beautifully, and I quote her quite often, Few really understand the unfailing love of Jesus Christ, like a captive who's been set free. So when you are captive and when you are freed, you can use that power through your walk with God to continue to become more empowered with the Spirit and not enslaved to your flesh. So I think those are probably the biggest things is just daily moment by moment in those constant battles to continue to remember who God is and whose you are and try to live that way. And obviously we can't do it in our own strength. I mean, you know, I'm a doctor. I've, I've gone through a lot of schooling. I've been able to do everything I could, but I cannot stop myself from sinning. You can't in your own power. And if you realize that, don't beat yourself up over it. Just go forward and move forward saying this is a clean slate. I've been given a clean slate. Thank you, Jesus. And move forward from there, moving out of that pit that you're in. Because he's right there with you and he'll meet you. Unfailing love and patience was huge for me. The moment that Jesus Christ was there for me, he'd been waiting a long time for me. And he was there, yeah, ready. But it does seem like sometimes people are that you hear those stories that they're immediately delivered and it's and it's just amazing. But sometimes it's not, and that that's okay too. That doesn't Absolutely. mean that Jesus isn't still moving no. or active. It just means for some reason you're going to have to walk a little bit. That's harder. That's it. Yes, absolutely. So that's very true. I don't feel like God's loved me more than he loves anybody else just because he immediately delivered me. Um, One of my my dentist friends one time never stopped working. He was working and I was doing anesthesia. And he's a Catholic. And so I was um, telling him my vision. And I I haven't shared this yet. And I I haven't shared it quite often. So um, it was a beautiful vision uh, where I was caught up um, standing on a glass balcony. And there was just glass surrounding me. All I could see was the glass below me, which was probably about four or five feet high. I was above that. And I looked out over the most beautiful uh, water and then almost more beautiful than a Thomas Kincaid painting of like a village over there in, in in a mountain way. Absolutely beautiful. And it was not as much what I saw as what I felt at the time of overwhelming warmth and comfort and love like I'd never experienced before. And God, uh, I was laying in bed and getting ready to get up, and and I felt like God took me there for a moment. And I wasn't really sure why at the time, but I started sharing that quite often with my girls in my Sunday school class, or with I always. I'm very bold about my faith, and if you if you talk to me for five minutes, you're going to know that I love Jesus, and and I, I do that, that at work, you know, and I do it at work. And so I was sharing my vision one day, and and he looks. I, I shared my vision. He looks up, stops working straight in the eye, and he says, why do you think God gave you that vision? And, of course, the Holy Spirit equips us with what we need to say at every moment in in time. And he said, I said through the Holy Spirit, because I'm bold, and I'll share it. So I think maybe that might be why God immediately delivered me because I'm so bold about it mm-hmm. and I'll share it for others to know and to understand and to right. hear. So I thought that was really a great answer. I could have never come up with that myself. Yeah. 
And your personality has always kind of been all or nothing. I'm right. All, or nothing. all in or all. Oh, out. you bet. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Not that I've not struggled. I mean, sure. You know, there were three times after I became a follower, immediately delivered, that I did try a drink, and I got sick every time, three times. Just one drink. I used to not get sick unless I had twenty. So you know, it was crazy. Um, and I mean, obviously, there's still struggles, mm-hmm. and and maybe not as many external, but still internal stuff. You know, with pride in my workplace and things like that. I take my work so seriously and so passionate about it that I take some things that people say um, a little bit more offensive than I should. There's always struggles. We're always going to struggle with something. Maybe it's not quite so obvious, like pride or like mm-hmm. greed or things like that. But um, it's it's a constant it's a constant walk a constant battle like I say in my book so it's it's always um, there's always a, a deeper walk. So Pam, you do a lot of mission work. So tell us kind of what's going on with your mission work right now. Sure. So in March, I was uh, on a mission trip with the kids, our student ministry down in um, Mission, Texas, right on the border. And this was our first year to go down. And since I've been in the student ministry so long, they kind of wanted me to be a part of it just because I'm able to kind of help visualize what this might look like in the future for our youth and all of that. So I was very blessed to be able to go along because my clinical practice sometimes doesn't open that up for me to go. And so I felt like that was God's way of saying, yes, this is for you. So we went down. And we did some work right there on the border. And actually, on Thursday of the week we were down there with the kids, we were able to go over and do a a worship service um, with 700 refugees, um, boys traveling from all over, Honduras, Puerto Rico, uh, Guatemala, all over the Central America area, Mexico, coming for the American dream. And they were 11 to 17 years old. And so we were told that before that we needed to, you know, do a worship service based around that age group of kids. And so we decided, I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me for several days before I actually said something. And he wouldn't leave me alone about it, which he does that sometimes when it's something he wants to have done. Tell your story, tell your story, tell your story, tell your story. So I went over and told the told one of the um, student ministers and also told um, the director that was down there with us for the mission trip. And I said, I just feel led to tell you and you do with this whatever God wants you to do that I I would love to share my story when we go um, do the worship service with the boys on Thursday morning. And so they said, well, we're not sure if we'll have time, um, but we will definitely um, try to get it in. We've got three services and we only have this many minutes. I said, well, whatever God wants, we'll do. And so the students and I had worked on a human video, too, that was really awesome. And so we were working on that. And just to interject, if listeners are wondering what is a human video, they have drama that goes with a beautiful song, and it enacts in a visual depiction of of a spiritual story, right? Love it. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. So um, a few days later, I found out that, yes, there was going to be time because they had decided to do, instead of doing three services, just to do two. So there was time for me to share my story. And so um, felt empowered like no other. I'd never spoke to a crowd this big, but I felt the Holy Spirit all over me and knew that this was exactly what he wanted me to be doing at that moment. And so I, I shared my story with the kids because they had relentlessly pursued America and the American dream over 2,000 miles on foot. No girls because it's too hard for girls to travel that far. And so... Um, I shared that I'd lived the American dream, and I shared what all I'd done in my life and the mistakes that I'd made and that there was still something missing in my life and that it was Jesus Christ. 
And that day, through both services, there were 376 little boys that gave their life to Christ. And I felt mm. during those moments of watching how God moved that I, I felt amazingly burdened for these boys, and I felt like God was calling me to come back and do that again. And so I just got back um, a few weeks ago from my second trip down. I talked to the director. I found out how much time cycles before the boys are like transitioned over. So there's a change, and it's usually between two and three months that they their average stay is at this specific facility in Harlingen, Texas. And so I just went back, and God moved again in big ways. And so I'm committed to going down now and doing that because I feel like that the boys are relentlessly pursuing something. They think it's the American dream, and actually it's not. It's Jesus Christ. Hmm. So these boys are there, and then what, what options do they have once yeah. they're at the border? You bet. So basically what the boys can do is they can either be sponsored by someone here in the United States, and a lot of them are. If they have family here in the United States, then they can go connect with their family, or they have to go back to their respective countries or somewhere else. Okay. And these are kids that are seeking asylum from wherever they're yes, coming from? correct. They're seeking asylum, yes. And the girls don't come because it's difficult but also dangerous. Absolutely, absolutely. The one little boy that had his sister said she was abducted um, in Mexico. So, yes, it's very dangerous. Yes, yes. So, you know, they're relentlessly pursuing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your heart breaks when you see these boys because they've left everything behind, their family, everything they know for their dreams. And the parents have let them go because they want them to have a better life and not the vicious cycle that they live in right now in their respective locations. And what a neat thought that as you share Jesus with them, that God told you to go do this, that those boys will then be sent and live in various places all around our country. The, and, or the world. Or the world. If they get sent somewhere yes. else. Yes. It's powerful how that will disperse the the kingdom, or it would disperse the word into the kingdom uh, in powerful ways that I could never imagine. And I was speaking with the guy that's over this, and his name is Pastor Sotomayor, and he said to me in Spanish where his daughter translated, he said, you know what, Pam? He said, you don't have to go. You, We are called to go all over the world and share the gospel. But he said, God also brings them to you, and they're <laughs> right here. And I'm like, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. So I love that ministry. Yeah. And you're going to go back again? I will. Okay. I will. I'll go back about every other month, month and a half, or two months, sorry. Yes. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. It is. And I have committed also to writing the book in Spanish and giving the boys a copy. Uh, I give them Bibles in Spanish when they accept Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to donate a book to every one of the boys that accepts Jesus in Spanish once it's translated. And how many boys, like 700 boys, yeah, is that what you said? about. Okay. They house, they, it can house up to 700. It varies, but um, last time I was down, I think there were like 550 or 600. When we went down in March, there were like 700 boys. And they have worship services for these boys? Once a week on Thursday evenings. Now, we had a special service on Thursday morning um, when we were there with the kids over in March. But, yes, it's usually on Thursday evenings. And they have the option to come, or they can go do rec, um, mm-hmm. whichever they prefer. What do most of them do? Um, most of them come. They come, which is awesome. Yeah. It was amazing. And this yeah. facility is run by the Texas Baptist Association. It's, um, is that right? It's BCFS, which is Baptist Children and Family Services. Wow. Uh, and the government subsidizes them to take care of these boys, and they are spoiled rotten. 
They really are. They're taken very well care of. Their laundry's done every day. They all wear T-shirts that are donated, and they all wear shorts that are comfortable, and they have clothes that are donated and three meals a day, and I actually helped serve meals to them uh, when I was there as well and and got to speak with the kitchen staff and share my story as well. So God is moving, uh, and I'm able to um, do some stuff down there that I'm, uh, I'm overwhelmed with the impact that it could have on God and the kingdom. That's I just great. love seeing how you use your life for God. I just think you're an inspiration. And I hope our listeners are taking notes and just being excited to think what God may do through their lives, just like he's doing in yours. Yes, it's and I do exciting. feel called to singleness, like I said earlier. And I will have a book out called, well, Mr. Wright's my next one, and then A Call to Singleness is my other book. And I feel like, guys, you know, it says in the Bible that if you're not married, if you're not, if you're not married, don't get married. I'm trying to save you from the trouble that marriage causes. And that's not that marriage is bad. I'm not saying that at all. But I think there are some of us that could do more for the kingdom of God if we don't share time in an earthly relationship. And I feel like God has called me to that and maybe calling others to live that way too so that we have more time to impact the kingdom than others do. Yeah. I think we're all put into different positions where you can you can reach people that we can't yes. or whatever, like whatever our story is, whatever that's our situation true. where we're placed in the world, that's where we're supposed to move. Love it. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Well, thank you so You're much welcome. for sharing. You're welcome. You guys, wasn't that just awesome? Um, one of the main things that she said that I just love and want to reiterate is that the burdens in our hearts become the passions of our heart. I think that's perfectly said. Um, her book will be out. It is called Spirit Versus Flesh, A Constant Battle by Pam Wilson. So one of the things that I hope that we can all take away also from this is her quote that she said, don't build your life on sinking sand. I love that, that story that she shared about how she realized that she was she wanted to build her life on the solid foundation of Jesus. And So we're just grateful that Pam shared her story with us today. Um, We hope that you are enjoying Afraid Not. Please do us the honor of of rating and reviewing the show, and we hope you subscribe. By the way, when you do those things, it increases the likelihood for other people to be referred to our podcast and hear these stories. We would love that, and we hope that you out there are being blessed by the stories that people have been bravely sharing. We hope you have a great week. Bye. Bye.